I've been doing this for about a year and a half now and I've really enjoyed the chats and discussions with some of the best people in our industry and I, I think you guys do too. We have just hit the milestone of 50,000 downloads and I want to say thanks. Uh, thanks to everyone who gives feedback. Thanks to everyone who, who listens, appreciates and, and learns from these stories. And most of all, thanks to our amazing guests who come on this show. We have got a whole bunch of amazing people lined up as well. So, this is just the beginning. It has been my pleasure to do this and I'm looking forward to the next 50,000. Even though we are hygienists, sometimes we lead the dentist towards um, a treatment and, and it makes a big difference. Welcome to the Dental Head Start Podcast. I'm your host, David Keir, and I want to take a moment to say thanks to all of the hygienists and oral health therapists that listen to our podcast, send us feedback, and appreciate what we do. This one is for you guys, but it's definitely not for just you. It's highly relevant for both dentists, oral health therapists, hygienists, and it's packed with tips and advice from our first hygienist to come on the podcast. This episode, we have Salik Fanihad with us on the show and he's a motivating kind of guy. His passion flows through and I love speaking with people like this. It motivates me and I hope it motivates you the same. We talk about how hygienists can optimize your team and your time if you're a dentist, but we also learn a lot about the key performance measures he aims for to improve the care for his patients and as well as the profitability for the practice and the dentist. And that's something I find key. I work with a hygiene team which are wonderful and they take care of the gingival health for my patients and that really allows me to focus on the stuff I do best which is restorative and surgical dentistry and it means we can be more profitable and help our patients more. As always, we learn about his story, how he got to where he is and how his mentors have shaped him. He talks about his way of communicating with patients and he actually tells you about a program he uses day in, day out that allows him to, to get through and make sense for his patients. And he squeezes in at the end a bunch of tips for new graduates and I think this is just a great episode with someone who, who's really passionate about what he does. Just to clarify, I do call Salik an oral health therapist at the start of this thinking he'd done BOH, but he's a hygienist. Um, I think these principles uh, cross for everyone, hygienists, oral health therapists, dentists, we can all learn from this chat. Now, of course, check out our website, dentalheadstart.com if you want to see the show notes, the key links and some summaries of the best bits of what we produce with this podcast because it is hard to remember everything you listen to when you're driving or on the train. It is important to have notes. So, we're trying to provide that for you and we're going to really grow that part of the podcast in the, ne- in the near future. For now, enjoy the chat with Salik Fernihad. Aesthetics is not just prepping teeth. If we want to be minimally invasive, we need to use aligners or some sort of orthodontics to put the teeth in the right place before we change their form. And of course, the pioneer of this is Invisalign. They've got the most experience, the most cases have gone through their platform and the most in-depth tools to use to get your patients from where they are to where they want to be. Once you're ready to provide aligners, Invisalign Go is the perfect entry point. It's the first step in becoming an Invisalign provider, allowing you to do relatively simple cases effectively and efficiently with their online tools. Go to invisalign-doctor.com.au to start your aligner journey today. Salik Fannyhead, welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast. Thank you very much, David, for having me. It's a pleasure to be the first hygienist in your podcast. That's exactly what I was about to say. So it, it is a pleasure. 
to have the first therapist with us on the podcast because I know there's a lot of therapists and hygienists are listening and, and getting a lot of information. It's great to have yourself and giving some tips, obviously, to therapists, but I want to make a clear distinction. I do not think this is going to be just for therapists. It's definitely going to be useful for dentists. I know my team I work with, it's an absolutely crucial part of my team, our therapist team, and I honestly wouldn't want to do dentistry without them. I thought we'd start, though, with something that's obviously on everybody's mind at the moment. COVID-19 is, has affected us significantly and is now affecting Victoria significantly. Um, how, did, how did you go through all of that, Salik, and um, how did you manage it? How's the profession uh, handling it? Uh, yeah, David, as, as you said, that uh, COVID-19 has definitely affected our industry, especially the hygiene part, because um, in restriction three or restriction two, uh, we were not able to do any hygiene work because of the aerosols and stuff. So personally, myself, I was stood down and by my work for six weeks, that lockdown that we had in, here in Sydney. And uh, so it did affect my job. And then after that, when we went to restriction and restriction two, and that's where we, I started doing some hand scaling and stuff, which was very kind of, <laughs> no one, none of the hygienists wants to do hand scaling nowadays. But when I did it, it was really nice, you know, it gave me a bit of good arm, arm workout. But, uh, <laughs> Just one arm though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just one arm, that's right. But uh, it was really good uh, to be back and, you know, it, it makes you appreciate when you don't have something. Um, and uh, But uh, we're getting back into it, so it's amazing um, after COVID. Yeah, yeah. It's um, obviously for many parts of Australia, it's on the right trajectory. Obviously, Victoria, I feel for everyone who's in Victoria and if you're out there and, uh, you know, I wish you all the best and, you know, if, if there's anything we can do, reach out. But um, it's, a, it's a tough time for many. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? How, after being through a shutdown, you, well, I don't know about you or you said it before, you really realise how much you you know, appreciate your job or your patients and just the ability to go to work and to do what we do and and to help our patients earn well and all those things that if you just shut down and locked out, it, it just disappears overnight. So um, it gives us some gratitude, I think. Not only for the practitioners and for the dentists, um, even the patients, they were like appreciating dentistry. So once the lockdown uh, finished and we were in restriction too, a lot of patients, they were very eager to come back for their checkup and clean. They were calling that when are you guys opening? And when they came, we thought that they have some, a lot of emergency, but no, they actually wanted to come for their regular maintenance. And it was amazing. And um, even now after, um, once the lockdown finished in Sydney, uh, we're pretty busy as a fact we're seeing all the backlog patients where we miss their maintenance. Uh, but I do feel for Victoria and hopefully this finish for them um, because it's going to affect a lot of people um, and especially personally in the personal level as well as in the national level for our economy. So um, I wish them all well and hopefully uh, they get back in there. Yeah, hopefully it is just the six weeks that's planned, but we will definitely see. Um, so, of course, Salik, you're um, a therapist and hygienist and working in Sydney, um, really passionate about what you do, which is one of the reasons I thought it would be great to have you on here and get your insights. But I'd like to get to know you, as we always do. Tell us a bit about yourself, You know where you grew up, how you got all the way along the path to, to hygiene. Sure, no problem. Um, David, I was 16 years old. Uh, I traveled from Afghanistan uh, and I came here as a refugee with my family, very lucky. Um, and I came here to Sydney um, when I was 16. 
um, yes, I've been to school, uh, learned English first. I had to study English first and learn that. And then year nine and 10, um, dropped out school at year 10. That Not of a dropped out, but because I was a bit older than year 10s, I just wanted to do more of like a shortcut course of year 11 and 12. Um, did that, uh, got into a Bachelor of Oral Health at University of Newcastle. Um, and since then, here I am. Uh, I loved it from the from day one. I went without any experience in oral health or dentistry to uni, so I didn't even know I was Maxilla and Mandeville. And matter of three years, uh, I was a hygienist, and um, I do appreciate all those uh, lecturers and clinicians and our tutors. Um, they did a lot of hard work, um, but definitely enjoying the course and course, and I loved it. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you're, you're passionate and I love that. I think that's awesome. Um, obviously, you know, a bit of a different route to to hygiene and probably a very challenging one with having to learn English quite in depth at a rapid pace. Um, what influence or insights did you get from that experience? It was um, more of like uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't know the extent of the academic part of university in English. So um, I did, even though I studied a bit here in uh, like an intensive English center and in school year 9 and 10, and obviously in TAFE, uh, but when I went to uni, I, I saw that like the letter very kind of hard, and especially writing the essays and like exams. Um, but definitely there's a good programs that they have set up for all these refugees and stuff. There's a lot of help. It just, uh, we just have to make, re- uh, we just have to realize the opportunity out there and we have to take it. So um, I do show my gratitude and I'm, I'm here to give back for the community and for all those people who helped me. Um, but uh, yes, it was definitely a good challenge. Yeah, I, I, I can only imagine. And I, I have a lot of respect for where you've got to and, and what you've done. I, I don't know another language. And um, honestly, I've tried to learn Spanish and I struggled so hard. So um, you've done an extremely good job. Um, what, what did you do? So BOH in Newcastle, um, what was your first jobs? Where did you go to after that? Uh, so after BOH, I was in my second, second year of uni, I, I thought that I should get to know the industry. So I, I need to work as a dental assistant somewhere. And AB Dental well, was one of my biggest helps where I worked with AB Dental. Uh, Pam McCain, if, he's, if she's listening to this, she helped me a lot. And she sent me to those uh, different places as a locum um, and get to work with uh, from specialists to general dentists and different settings. And that gave me a very good broad uh, experience of like how dentistry works here in Australia. Um, but I was working with, uh, as a dental assistant, main, temporary, but uh, like most of the weeks with Dr. Guy Patton. Uh, he's a periodontist in Parramatta and Ranwick. Um, so I was working for him and then my final exams finished. I was waiting for my registration. That's where he offered me like a temporary role because the, his hygienist was going for maternity leave. So I started with a periodontist um, uh, with Dr. Guy Patton. And then after that, once his um, hygienist came back, I started in Central Coast. There was a general dentist. Uh, because it was a bit of a hot, far drive, and then I, I wanted more of like a full-time role, <laughs> I went to another further drive to South Coast. And I was working with uh, Dr. Parisa Javadi in uh, Coromel. Um, uh, it was called Confident Healthcare and um, learned a lot of hygiene there 
and I learned a lot of how to do all the treatment plans and stuff. To be honest, at the start of my um, career, I was a bit like, is that all I do, clean teeth after three years of studying? And especially some patients, like, you know how in Central Coast, South, South Coast, people are a little more relaxed. So they were saying that, so you are the car wash of the practice pretty much. <laughs> and uh, that was kind of, it was hurting me a lot. I'm like, I'm sure there's more into it. But I was lucky that I met the right people, especially Dr. Fraser Javadi and one of my colleagues who used to work there, uh, Sahil Baruja. He's an oral health therapist now. Uh, and he helped me a lot with um, how to do hygiene in a proper way where you can become the powerhouse of pretty much the practice. So in terms of treatment planning, taking photos. And then I kind of found out that I'm making a lot of difference, not only for myself, for the patients, for the practice. Um, so that's where it became more interesting to me. And uh, um, then I started working with Dr. David Moffat, um, who's one of the best in customer service and dentistry. So she, he actually appreciated my skills and uh, did a lot of courses with him, um, which, which made me more passionate for what I do. And I started to love it. And uh, that's why I got a stack and I didn't even do dentistry or any other course and I'm loving hygiene. Yeah, I love, I love that too. Like you've you got it with two hands and you're running with it. And and you say, and you make a good point, it's about who you meet and your experiences and your mentors and, and the, sh- the people who shape you that have come before you. Um, you were a dental assistant. I want to touch on that because I was a dental assistant and it's um, actually the whole premise of Dental Head Start was originally born because I felt as a dental assistant, I had a lot of insight and um, information that you can't readily get if you're just doing the course and then just being a dentist or a, or a hygienist. And um, it gave me a lot of insights. What are the key things you think you might have learned from that time? Look, uh, what you said, you actually, um, you're saying like, I always give advice to all my um, friends who's doing dentistry or oral health. I tell them that you should be working even one day a week or half a day a week. You should be definitely working as a dental assistant. Uh, it, it, it helped me even with my exams, things that I learned. It helped me with like, you know, growing that like communication skills. Um, so I always uh, give that advice to everyone that, you know, if you're studying, just go even work, um, even as a volunteer. So it will give you a lot of experience. But one thing that I really liked about that, that you kind of create um, a connection for yourself. So you get to meet all those dentists. You get to see their insight. You get to like, you know, experience their living and you know, what they do and all that and what, how you should fix yourself so from um, obviously from their profession from their mistakes and what they share with you so um, it was a very good experience that and I'm very I appreciate a lot that so yeah it was Dr. Uh, Dr. Bezat Shukui he, uh, he calls himself Dr. Bez Shukui uh, and I think he works in northern uh, North Shore at the moment uh, but his communication was top-notch here the way that he was just explaining things the way that the handing over was amazing Uh, and also i remember that he had a tool or a software called ddsgp um, and uh, he was using that to just show that to the patients uh, like for for example periodontal disease how it progresses in terms of bone loss or he was showing how the crown works how do we put it and what do we do or what's the difference between inlay and only and i was like first of all i'm gonna copy his communication second of all i'm gonna ask her how did he get this um application yes, in, yeah. in his ipad 
it's amazing. But the only bad thing about it is it's very expensive. It's an American application. It's like seven hundred dollars. DDSGP. All right, and it's um yeah, so it's a it's a communication tool. Um and yeah, okay, I'll definitely put some notes in the the show notes so people can check that out if they're interested. Um, so do you use any other tools when you're explaining treatment with patients? Uh, basically, a lot of uh, like a lot of dentists where they use uh, hand gestures and especially. Because mainly I explain in terms of like periodontal, bone loss, pocketing, uh, but mainly I use that DDSGP uh, to show them. But that, that application pretty much has the whole dentistry in it. Um, and it's very easy from root, like, like restorations to endodontics. Um, so, yeah, I do recommend that uh, if they can afford it. But obviously, back, back to your question in terms of what I got in dental assisting, I recommend it to everyone, especially the students and all that. You know yourself that you were a dental assistant, how much you learn, how much it helped you through your clinicals, those exams, and obviously the communication part to our um, like tutors or like the materials that uh, um, you you get to understand that you don't know in university. Uh, I just want to mention this, this funny part about uh, my experience as a dental assistant that uh, Dr. Bez Shikui asked me that, can you pass me the flat plastic and I'm like, oh my God, what's flat plastic? So I saw, I saw on the bench <laughs> that there was like that tape where they put it for anteriors, uh, the, the plastic tape. Uh, I'm like, that's flat, that's Clean plastic. Strip, yeah, yeah. This strip, actually, yes. I'm like, that's flat, that's plastic. Let's just cut that, give it to him. And he laughed. He's like, yeah, your idea is right, but it's not flat plastic. <laughs> <laughs> The value you get from watching other clinicians and learning their little tips, their metaphors, their communication style, their nonverbal communication, every piece of that is crucial and I recommend it to everyone. So I'm glad you're on the same, um, you agree entirely. Yes, 100%. You've mentioned a few mentors um, or people you worked with and and have become mentors. Um, How has that shaped who you are now? Look, uh, they play a very important role um, uh, in our life, in our career. Uh, and I feel for all those people where they are graduates and they go somewhere and they work where they don't have mentor or they don't have that uh, kind of role model to look up to or, or uh, the clinician or the mm. principal dentist is too busy to come and check in their room. Uh, but mentor played a big role in my career. As I said, Dr. Parisa Javadi, my friend and my colleague uh, Sahel Baroja, uh, Dr. David Moffat in terms of my communication, customer service, and like the type of work that he was doing. He actually also recommended me to do a course with him. Uh, it was called Scale It to Schedule. It was an American-based course. Um, Cindy Johnson is the CEO of it from LA. And they came in here, Australia, in Australia, and they did a bit of mentorship in terms of theory, communication, treatment planning, as well as um, even like, you know, booking those like treatments and stuff. Uh, everyone can do a treatment plan, but like uh, patient retention is very important. If um, I think the success is when the patient has understood you and they come back and they do, they do the treatment with you. So um, that is very important. Um, and then after that, I worked with Dr. George Lee and Andrew Lee, the brothers uh, from Gleep, uh, and they were amazing as well. Uh, like um, thanks to Bupa Dental for like uh, pretty much uh, introducing prime prime practice. And uh, I did all the prime courses, prime is speak um, and obviously everyone in prime practice. So everywhere I, whoever I met in the industry and like whatever I've learned from them, even like, you know, a very small step, I call them my mentor um, and I have a lot of gratitude and appreciation towards them. Do you have any thoughts around, uh, and this might sound like a strange question, but 
a, what do you see as a good mentor? If if you're a graduating hygienist now, what would you be asking for or looking for in the um, in the practice that you work in? Look, uh, basically, I've seen a lot that as a as a graduate myself, I was making a lot of mistakes. So I was uh, kind of missing things and I wasn't explaining things to the patient and which was like I wasn't doing my job properly. A lot of men, not, I'm not, I'm not going to say a lot of people, but some bosses and staff, they say that it's too much. My practice is not an academy. My practice is not a university. So instead of me wasting my time teaching you something, I'm just going to let you go and hire someone else. But but I think mentor and leadership comes when a person actually says that, you know what, you have come in the right place. Let me give you the direction. I will assess you for another week or two after my direction. If you could pick it up, then I will, I will work with you. But if you can't pick it up, then obviously you, like I have showed you the way, but you just didn't open the door. Um, so one of the things that, you know, that leadership comes, uh, people where they just, uh, they give you the direction, they give you a chance. And, and exactly that's what my mentor, like my original mentor, Dr. Parisa Javadi and my friend Sahil, that's what they did. They actually, you know what they said, that let's just give you a week of training and then assess you after a week. And literally after a week, um, Dr. Parisa came with a gift uh, to me that you have you have changed so much. And it just kind of made me a bit emotional and all that as well, because for one week I traveled all the way to Central Coast to just watch. Um, and I call, I call that a slap in the wrist as well, but, um, but I was lucky to get that. And I hope all those graduates, I hope all those people um, out there who's listening to this, that if a person is criticizing you, try to take that criticize in a kind of positive way and especially when you're a graduate and you will learn a lot from that yes it's very easy for us to say that you know what you're criticizing me too much i'm not going to come to your job i'm going to go find something else fair enough you will find something else but you have lost your connection you have actually ignored the mistakes that you're doing and um, and pretty much you're closing a door to yourself so and um, till now i have a very good connection with them and I appreciate them every time I see them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great advice. It's, it's so good. The, if someone's criticizing you, actually, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grow and to learn. Obviously, the word criticize, it's, maybe it wasn't presented well if we if it's that way. But if someone's giving you feedback, that's a wonderful thing. Um, and if it's constructive criticism, even better. You also touched on something I think that's really important is that when a dentist or your colleagues have the time to help you grow, they're, they're actually helping their own practice. And that's something I'm kind of speaking, I guess, to the dentists out there. The use, the, the, the effect of a hygiene team in your practice is so effective. And like you said, you're talking about diagnosing treatment, explaining treatment and building rapport with the patients. All these things benefit the whole practice and the dentist and i'm sure you have a lot to say about that <laughs> tell us a bit about um you know the hygiene yes. team in the practice and how you see it and the value you see look uh, i think hygiene is like a powerhouse of the practice i think hygiene is the touch point uh, for all those patients to stay connected in the practice so and those criticism or those uh, positive um, kind of criticism from our uh, principal dentist or from our boss is it's not only good for the patient, not only good for the practice, but it's also good for the for the hygienist or that graduate dentist as well. Because down the track, if we, if we don't do the right things like now, then in six months' time, we will see the effect in our book. 
in three months' time, we will see that effect in our book. So if we try to make ourselves and get all those constructive criticism, all those um, feedbacks positively and work on it, then uh, then we will have that patient retention. We will like, especially if you're working like as a, a commission or whatever, like, you know, you can, you have those patients to come back and pretty much pay your wages as well as like, you know, help you. So I, 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 like I'm all for it to just like, you know, um, get those uh, feedbacks and work on it. Hygiene, um, coming back to your question before I become sidetracked, um, uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the importance of hygiene in a, in a team is, is just substantial. It's, uh, and it's amazing to work with a hygienist. <laughs> not that I'm saying that I'm not a hygienist, but as I said, um, uh, like retaining the patients, patients coming six monthly and three monthly, pretty much two people looking after the patients, the hygienist and dentist. And obviously if you want to be like more of like an active hygienist where you just don't want to do cleans and that's all, then uh, you're making a lot of changes in a person's life. Like um, I sometimes I joke around with my patients when I after a deep cleaning or periodontal treatment, I tell them that I save you from heart disease, or I just saved your life from something else. <laughs> and uh, so, so I take it in a positive way, and um, I I love making changes in people's life, and um, and especially when you see the results. And something about uh, hygiene, obviously, the whole dentistry is that our result is very fast. We get the results very quick, and a lot of professions they don't have that so uh, not only that we are hands-on at the same time you know, we're seeing result in daily basis um, which is amazing and makes it more uh, exciting mm. yeah we're, absolutely we're lucky and we can see those almost instant well some things are instant changes and um, that can keep us motivated and keep the patient motivated for those changes as well um, you, when we're talking before you, you t- um, talked a little bit about hygiene driving the practice or that you said i think mm. the powerhouse of the practice um how do you see that happening how do you work in that way and how do you benefit the practice yes yeah, so i am a big advocate of hygiene driven dentistry so um, i say that um like if you have a hygienist then pretty much 60 percent of the income of the practice is coming from your hygiene department and i have seen it i have proved it i have kind of work towards that and, and it makes sense because why I say that is that um, for all those practitioners out there who's listening is that a hygienist sees every patient every six months, three months or for their regular maintenance and then a hygienist picks up those cracks, picks up those like, you know, um, cavities or like, you know, things that where uh, dentist could be in a rush or they're doing some other treatment. So we can pick that up and then just bring the dentist in. Hey, quarter one is looking good. Quarter two has this problem. Quarter three has this problem. What do you think? I think it needs a crown. I think it's either only. Or what, are, what do you think, doctor? So that way then um, the dentist can pick it up as well and touch on it as well. And, you know, it becomes a treatment. And plus, uh, like we help out, I personally help out all the dentists that I work with them, that um, whatever they say when they leave the room, I emphasize that and I try to like lead them in booking or scheduling them. So um, it's not all about like, you know, and uh, the straight income or the uh, that hygiene creates, but it's also about what you're booking, what you have lead the patient to book, like, you know, in terms of 
crown in terms of implant, Invisalign, so that a scheduled treatment or that book treatment, and um, that all counts towards the income of the practice. So that's why I say that as a hygienist, you can do like, you know, up to 60% of the um, a practice's um, income. So uh, they are making a big difference. When you say 60%, are you saying um, 60% including the amount that you're booking and locking in, like dental, uh, so dentist procedures that you're kind of facilitating and booking? Or do you mean the production from the hygiene department? Oh, I, I count that as a production in the hygiene department. So, uh, booking, oh, so, sorry, including the booking and all that. So, obviously, there's a production where they, they use the hygiene item numbers. There's one production, which should be 30 to 35%. And then on top of that, I say that those other things where hygiene refer and then it becomes successful in the book and they go do it, like in terms of implants, in terms of, you know, how many kind of, uh, like uh, ethically, obviously, professionally, how many implants or how many crowns or how many braces or Invisalign you have recommended, which is life-changing for people. And, and there's a lot of hygienists out there. Or there's a lot of some people there where they just do the clean nicely, but uh, they're not they don't kind of recommend something that, you know, you should do this, it will benefit you. And I'm sure 90, 95% do that. But um, so in that term, I'm always talking about not only the production, but what you lead and what you refer to that counts towards you as well. It's absolutely. That's something that I think is um, crucial. And I really think what you're saying is important for a lot of people to understand. I'll say as a preface, I don't own a practice. I don't run the hygiene department in the practice I work in. Um, and so I, you know, I'm saying this from what I see and what I hear and what basically what people tell me. But um, the, the thing is that hygiene is another touch point for your patient, you know, another way that the patient can make a relationship with the practice. It's the way that, you know, if you miss something or if you didn't quite communicate something well as a dentist, then the hygienist might pick up that ball that you dropped, so to speak. And as you said, you know, you can identify things and plan things or suggest things, um, which means the patient you know, comes to the dentist saying, oh, well, maybe I should get this implant up here and the dentist hasn't even thought about it yet to the point where, you know, you know, you plan treatment for the dentist. I, I, I just can't see how that um, is not the most uh, important part of most practices. Um, but it, it's something that a lot of practices don't have hygienists. Do you see that changing and how, how is that going? Um, I think uh, I see that changing a lot. Um, like I was talking to Dr. David Moffat when I was working with him and he was saying that, you know, um, around 2007, 2006, he had to actually go to Perth and Adelaide uh, to kind of interview hygienists and to bring them back to Sydney. But now a lot of um, practices, they have hygienists. But it just depends how, how much kind of tools and how much freedom that they're giving to those hygienists. Uh, like as my patients from South Coast and Central Coast that they used to say, do they want to keep them as the car wash of the practice or they want to be part of like the providers or they want to be part of the production of the practice where they can kind yeah, of the team yes yeah. the team of the practice where you can just uh, retain those patients around you and obviously pick on all those stuff one thing that i kind of noticed and um, a lot of especially a lot of dentists who's been seeing these patients for 10 15 years they have been seeing their kids or they have been coming since they were a kid and they become very relaxed and comfortable with them uh, yep everything is looking good you've been coming six months but sometimes in six months or whatever things happen that changes in our mouth and that dentist because you're very comfortable with he doesn't pick it up 
And then that's when like a new hygienist or that hygienist that you have seen, they pick it up more because they spend more time with the patient. They do it like fair enough. You haven't, as a hygienist, you haven't picked it up during the exam, but you can pick it up during the clean because you're pretty much cleaning every single tooth from six different area. Uh, so you can see that, oh, yep, there's something that, you know, let me take a picture of that and uh, show it to the patient first, talk to them about it get the dentist back, get their opinion. And sometimes you can, like, uh, even though we are hygienists, but sometimes we lead the dentist towards um, a treatment uh, and, and it makes a big difference. You raise a really good point there, actually, and it's something that probably a lot of listeners haven't quite covered yet. But if we see a patient for many, many years, we tend to, or I, I'm just talking generally for all dentists really, but I think it happens as we um, have a longer and longer career, particularly towards the end of our career, but we may see a patient for a long time and end up watching things that we might not be simply watching if they came to us as a new patient. Even as a, um, a dentist three years out, I've seen patients that I've seen for the three years and, and there's some things that I look at and think, I, I would, if they were a new patient, I'd be talking about this differently and I catch myself and have to, you know, make sure I enlighten the patient to what I see. But it's an easy trap to fall into. If you've got a second set of eyes, which is your hygiene team, um, they can pick that up for you, as you said. That's a really good point. Uh, and it, it happens with the hygienists as well. I'm not going to name places, but like I'm in some way and I've worked. Um, uh, the hygiene or the six months maintenance patients were coming six monthly nicely they've been coming to that practice for 10 15 years and everything was good and then when i came and i start doing the bite wings and i see all these nice wings around the teeth all those tartar calculus all the bone loss vertical bone loss all that and then uh, i had to kind of watch myself how am i kind of gonna now explain to this patient that you know you have uh, actually localized perio you have you have moderate perio in these areas and if i don't treat it then matter of five to six years you might lose this tooth so um, even uh, a lot of hygienists they become comfortable um, and, and um, hopefully i don't offend anyone but especially like some hygienists they they like kind of just getting their hourly pay doing the clean going home nicely but then and especially when there's not a bit of motivation but when you're you know, motivated, you want to make a difference in someone's life, then um, you pick those stuff and you actually, um, you, you, you don't want to be friendly with them. You don't want to become a friend with a patient. You just want to tell them what is wrong. Pretty much they're paying us to kind of let them know what is happening in their mouth. And, uh, and we need to be like very alert and tell them the right thing. And so some people are too nice where they say, that, you know what, let's just watch it. Let, let me just not kind of damage your wallet um, <laughs> so let's just uh, watch it and do this because you've been coming here for for years but uh, that um, that goes in a wrong way and personally I have made that mistake myself at the start of my career where I've said that you know what this pocket it's fine I'm not gonna numb you up I'm not gonna do the deep cleaning I'm not gonna charge you for that 222 or whatever let me just watch it and in a matter of three to four months time there's a period abscess yeah, you learn the hard way sometimes. It's a really tricky thing, though, and and this is something I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot, uh, but we all have to do this at, from time to time. Is when we do see something that's been watched for many years, perhaps by their, you know, they've just moved to the area, they've seen their dentist for thirty years, and they love their dentist more than anything. Um, and then you take bite wings, and they've got overhangs everywhere and decay and perio rampant. 
Do you have a way that you broach that conversation with the patient? Yes, definitely. Like even though when I see patients from the other practices, when they have come as a new patient and they have something, something wrong has happened or, or the filling is overhang or they have missed the calculus, even though they had a clean six months ago. Yeah, well, we just have to put it in a way where we don't throw our colleague or like, even though they don't work with us under the bus. Um, and obviously, like, because uh, it's not a competition to just win the patient, but it's more of like a, um, we are we are doing our job to treat the patient in the right way. And so I obviously watch what I say and, and I wish and I when I'm telling them that this is what's happening, I kind of cross my fingers that hopefully they don't ask me the question that why was this not picked six months ago? And why are you telling me this? Who's wrong? And uh, and a lot of time they haven't done that. But some people, when they have asked me, I just say that, uh, you know, people get comfortable with you. They were being nice to you because they were saying that, you know, uh, let's hopefully we can change it. Let me just do this. Let me just do that. Um, but obviously it didn't happen. But in terms of overhangs and stuff, I tell them that, you know, teeth always moves, uh, food packs happens, all that. So um, a secondary cavity has started under this uh, filling. It's not cause of the filling, but maybe you haven't flossed all the way down. So I watch my words not to throw anyone under the bus, but it is a very hard, position to be in situation to be in uh, when you have picked up because of someone else's mistake it's something that i think we'll all cover we'll all see and we'll have to deal with and it is really important we're particular with our words and you raised an extremely important point which is we should never throw anyone under the bus i think everyone out there has done a some treatment where they they look at something and think, I can do that better, and then they try to do it better and it looks worse. And <laughs> that's because we don't know the situation the dentist was in or the patient was in or the situation. But we do know what we see at the time. And uh, something I think I learned it from Frank Spear, who is an American um, uh, educator and a really well-known dentist. Uh, it was along the lines, and I'm, I'll put some notes in the show notes um, to help here, but it was on, along the lines of I've learned new things recently uh, you know about dentistry and because of these new things that we understand i'd like to you know do a proper comprehensive exam for you and and let you know exactly what i, was, I see as i see it today things have changed a lot since dr so-and-so saw you last and and that kind of concept of things have changed or dentists change dentistry's changed i think it helps the conversation um a lot with the patient i'll, I'll make i butchered that pretty bad i'll put some notes in the show notes for people to follow on that's <laughs> so that good that's so good um like uh, every like none of us are perfect out there david and uh, i have spent 90 minutes of deep cleaning on someone and like you know done all the right things and then when i have taken the bite wing straight away after the deep cleaning to see if those calculus are gone and I see that they haven't gone and it's a Friday afternoon where I have like pretty much running late now if I start doing it again (laughs) but you know what I just uh, set the patient up and I tell them that you know uh, this is your after x-ray and I still have missed a bit of tartar and all that there let's just book you back in a couple of weeks time and I will do that again for you and we just have to be honest with the patients yes we go we we, we can't uh, we can't be perfect all the time that's a really good um, way of saying it is that you, you do sit your patient up say this is exactly how it is and your honesty I think is felt by the patient they understand and they trust you because of your honesty there is nothing wrong with doing that I've definitely done that many many times I like that and I hope people use that in that time instead of doing the thing that might seem easier is to just ignore it yes honesty is very important and um like patients sense that and you, you got to show them like I always treat like uh, I shouldn't like, uh, 
we should treat everyone like as our family. Uh, would you be do, would you be saying this to your sister, to your brother? Like if you if you do a filling and you have an overhang, yes, you're running late. Yes, you're tired. Yes, your back is hurting. But uh, do the X-ray. Let them know that you know this is what, how it goes. But don't worry, I'm gonna fix it. Either I will charge you again or free of charge. I'll charge your health one, whatever. It doesn't matter. But as long as you tell them that you know uh, I have missed that tartar underneath your gum and come back and I'll do it in two months or three months or two weeks, um, they will appreciate that and they will actually come back. Treating patients like they're your family, it's important. It's such a good way to put it. It's also important, like you said, we're not a friend of our patient, but at the same time, you want to treat them how you'd want your family to be treated. I love that. It's really, really yeah. good. Um, we, we talked a bit before about – I'm going to change the tact a bit. Um, we talked about um, hygiene driving the practice. How do you work as a hygienist within the practice? And I want this a little bit to help the students who have no idea how a hygienist works within the team and perhaps for some of the dentists who don't have hygienists on their team? Yeah, so like uh, f- for now I'm working for National Dental Care and uh, in Brangaroo with Dr. Yellen and Dr. Joanne and um, Dr. Nida Malik. Um, so how I do it is in their practice, I see a lot of new patients. I see a lot of, like obviously they check up and clean, especially new patients. So one thing I have seen that a lot of dentists, they are very hesitant to give their new patient, uh, especially straight away to a hygienist uh, to do their x-ray, to do their checkup, to do their clean and stuff. And they say that, you know, for whatever reason, but but I, me, uh, like personally myself in Brangaroo, I see a lot of new patients. And how I work is that I do their x-rays, bite wings, I do their cleans, I take all the photos, the things that I have picked up. Uh, from like fillings to cracks to like uh, broken tooth to um, like anything that I see that going wrong with their mat, I take photos of them. Um, so that takes literally 45 minutes. And then I set them up and I show them before the dentist comes. So I'll tell them, you know, this is what's happening, this is what's happening. Um, and I and I think um, that you would need this. I need. I think you would need that. But let me get the dentist and spend another 15 minutes with them so the dentist can have a look and confirm those areas. So when the dentist comes in, I have pretty much done everything. They are all charted. I have even done a preliminary kind of treatment plan for them. I have even done a step-by-step to do the uh, what's the urgent parts to start with, which quadrant to start with. And I pretty much double-check that. Uh, with the dentist and obviously as a hygienist when you work with some dentists um, you find out how they work some dentists they like to put a buckle filling some dentists they don't like those abrasions to be filled and they put due fat uh, some patients they like those cracks to be straight away crowned some the dentists they say that let's put a filling and open it up and see if it's projecting from inside so once as a hygienist as a practitioner you have picked up and you that how this dentist works then you pretty much do the same style as them and they will continue doing that uh, so that this is how i do it so when when the dentist comes pretty much everything is in the plate for them and um and they say yes yes no no change this let's do this first and uh, and patients appreciate it and as i said it makes my job super exciting 
like interesting and i love it because i'm not that car wash i am there sitting uh, actually uh, like treatment planning i am making a big difference i i kind of see myself as a as the triage of the practice where i have got the problem i have done the medical history i've done the notes the extended notes i have built a rapport and go from there and then obviously um um a lot of uh, a lot of practices they follow that dentistry rule where emergency is first, hyg- hygiene is second, restoration is third, cosmetic is fourth. So then um, we follow that pattern. If there is any emergency, we treat it straight away with the dentist. If not, we fix the hygiene. We do the deep cleanings. We do we fix the gums first. And then we go towards restorations and stuff so we can have a good result. And it works perfectly. Um, and there's a big trust between all the practitioners where I work. Oh, that sounds great. And it's so streamlined by the sounds of it. Yeah, um, and the patient's getting you know, those different points of view and, and the support through the, through the whole um, treatment. How long does the dentist spend with the patient after you've seen them? And how long do you spend with the patient? So like in Brangaroo, I... Book patient, they book the new patient's exams with me for one hour and I do my job in maximum 45 minutes and then um, and I gave that another 15 minutes for the dentist to come into my room and spend time with them in my room. First of all, we don't have to open so many packs. Second of all, we don't have to like, you know, jam all these uh, um dentist's book with like new patient exams or like checkups where they can do a lot of other work and uh, and third of all patients doesn't like like they get distracted when they move room to room and or, or wait between clean and checkup so it sometimes it if it might go more than like you know 60 minutes because patients can have more problems then uh, it is what it is and then we just move to another room where i can see my next patient so i don't i don't run late but answer to your question yes 60 minutes for like a new patient exam 45 minutes for a recall checkup in six months time where again i'll do my stuff in half an hour give another 15 minutes for the dentist and sometimes that 15 minutes could be five minutes you know because then patient is like meticulous there's nothing happening two people has checked and they say yep 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 all good make a bit of wrapper and that's it yeah yeah Uh, that's that's really good Uh, it's um it as you said frees up the dentist's book as well um allowing us to do more i guess higher production value stuff but you're still fostering that relationship with the patient which is is such a crucial part and you were saying before you um, you work in national dental care, but you're doing a bit of coaching and, and things for them as well. Tell us a bit about that. That's right. Uh, so Stalin Marshall, who's our area manager, um, she actually she knew me from Bupa Day since 2014. Uh, so she knew the experience and the exposure that I had to dentistry and hygiene. Um, so obviously in terms of uh, like production, like when sometimes they see that that, sometimes the hygienists are like pretty much producing the same amount as a dentist as a, as a graduate dentist so they kind of pick up on it that hey let's just check this item numbers what is he doing right what is he like is he doing something different let's just check his notes so they had like a bit of a internal audit from a national dental care on me and uh, and so thankfully i passed and it was everything professional and ethical so they said <laughs> <laughs> so they said that let's just um, this is amazing uh, I'm comparing you to like some other, like I'm not going to name the uh, positions or states and stuff that I'm comparing this and it's just totally different. Uh, like the production hourly is like 
so much different. What what you're doing different? Uh, I think you should just put it in the paper and um, and coach our I don't know um, hygienists and especially the graduates and stuff and tell them that you know that their hands are not tight. You know you can do a lot more with your hygiene or therapy degree. So um, that that's where because uh, and and I loved it to just go in that area. So. Pretty much talking with them and like you know creating some presentations, like pretty much telling them that you know that you guys are the most important uh, part of this uh, dental, like dental practice. Like as I said, you're the powerhouse of this practice. So, um, and then obviously created some KPIs and stuff how to create this hygiene uh, department more um, fascinating, more interesting. Um, so I always work with some KPIs where I say that uh, one third total of the office production comes from hygiene department just for the like those hygiene um, item numbers. Uh, also, I say 30% of all the adults being treated in the hygiene department should be using at least these um, four to five item numbers, which are 114, 115, 250, 251s, very regularly and i always say that 92 percent of uh, or more of available hygiene appointments should be filled on monthly basis so and we need to work on that where it's where we're doing 115 or 114 and it needs to be filled and also i also tell them that 90 percent of like uh, our hygiene patients should be reappointed for their next appointment straight away um after their hygiene visit and that should be booked by the practitioner themselves instead of taking them to reception and then the reception asks them that do you want to book your appointment today or you want to call us later <laughs> so i make sure yeah. that they book <laughs> it in that six months why i say 90 percent because sometimes the 10 percent people they book the appointments eight o'clock in the morning and they never come and you know those kind of patients <laughs> so it's better not to book them and let them call <laughs> you back and <laughs> put them back in that 10 percent and so i worked through those kpis and uh, and as i said uh, national dental loved it and appreciate that and um, so they allowed me and gave me that opportunity to do a bit of coaching work and obviously the borders are closed um, but we were very due, we were due to go uh, Queensland uh, around uh, end of August uh, to do so, um, but it's postponed now. So, but I have done some here in Sydney. Um, but yeah, uh, I love it. Now, I, I really can hear your passion behind that. It clearly has given you a lot of work satisfaction as well, which um, which is absolutely awesome. So um, that's really cool. You, I was just, I was like taking notes. I hope everyone else was taking notes. Those KPIs, we'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, but they're really important and con- concepts. Um, I'll touch on one. I've heard it um, before in some like, podcasts and other things. And perhaps it's a bit more. Um, done more in America than Australia, I'm not sure. But booking the appointment by the practitioner in the room, um, particularly hygiene, um, that's a really effective tool to increase um, retention and return um, uh, appointments and six-month recalls for your patients. 100%. As I said, that I have done those, um, like, you know, um, course from America, which was called the Scaler to Schedule. So that was mainly, like, uh, for the hygiene hygienists. And, like, those uh, KPIs were set by them. So I always followed that. And, yeah, booking patients from your room uh, makes a big difference. Like, you know, it, it, it takes a huge toll from the uh, reception uh, where they don't have to book it and I concentrate more of like on handover um, like I want to repeat all those things that I said in the room 
repeat it to my receptionist so the patient indirectly can hear it again and uh, and book that you know can emphasize it again <laughs> so three times the emphasizes better than one time and so that's why i book it from the room and i get a better result it, it, it shows me like the future of my book it actually shows me the future of my you know what what's 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 going to be happening in six months time with my book and um to be honest it gives me a bit of security yeah they're all really great points i like also what you said about the handover there's something that a lot of dentists particularly young dentists either don't know about or don't think about i'm not sure but it's really crucial if you're not actually going to be booking the appointment in your room when you take the patient to the front desk that you do a proper handover where you talk about you know you did great today um everything looks good except for that one last feeling that we're going to get done as soon as we can here's mary she's going to book that appointment for you yes or if you have booked that filling already for mary then you're just going to go to the reception and say that hey jess everything is good i have there was a filling that i have already booked in this day on this tooth and we will be seeing Mary on that time and again you have emphasized it again you have talked about that feeling and um, you know Mary will be listening it for the third time again indirectly <laughs> oh that's that's good I really should do <laughs> you, you've you've made me think oh, okay maybe we should book some of those appointments in the room something that you um, also mentioned um, I wanted to touch on and this is just for my own interest but um, laser dentistry and, and hygiene where how does that intersect Yes, so I was working for Dr. David Moffat in Active Dental, part of Bupa, and then Active Dental changed to Bupa Dental Parramatta, and I worked three years with Dr. Lily Hong there. Um, so after three years uh, working with them in uh, Glebe Dental Group, which was run by Dr. George and Andrew, and they were very close friends of Dr. David Moffat, so they kind of gave me an opportunity to come and kind of um, manage their hygiene department as they were going a bit of crucial times with their hygienist and stuff. So um, I went and took over, and one of the reasons that I traveled more further from my house to Glebe was they had a Fotana laser um, machine. And I said that this would be a very good opportunity to, for, for me to learn. And Dr. Um, Dr. Dr. Pang, uh, just Dr. Jason Pang, who actually did the course for, we did the course with him uh, for our laser dentistry. So he taught me how to do laser dentistry on like hygiene therapy and how to uh, do perio with laser. And that was an amazing tool. So, um, yeah, so I learned a lot of Fotana laser therapy in Glebe Dental uh, where like uh, we not only do a hand scaling, but like you could just after hand scaling, run the laser and then clean the tooth again with another three parts, which was like uh, de-infecting the tissue, which was like running the indiac to kind of clean the the remaining tartars or the tartars that has missed by the cal uh, by the curates or those linings where you have created and the tartars has hide themselves and also for clotting. Um, so you would use Erbimiac to just clot the tissue back again to create more of like an urgent fixing on the tissue. And, um, and patients would get great results, especially those periopockets of seven, eight, nine, or those teeth where they have had their endodontic procedure and they still have pocketing, they still have a bit of pain, and you would run laser and you would get amazing results on that. Um, so... Do you see significantly different results compared to um, doing subgingival debridement or, um, or say, a periodontist doing surgery? Look, I wouldn't say that you should use only laser, um, but I'm saying that 
laser is a part of like to, after cure and um, after doing deep cleaning with curettes and ultrasonic, it is a good idea to run a laser after that, especially uh, if the patient wants to. But some um, some patients where they have like pockets of four or five millimeters, and um, you don't have to do laser that you can achieve a good result with like you know normal deep cleaning as well. But I'm mainly always offering laser for those patients with seven and eight millimeter pockets yeah. obviously with the respect of periodontists and like telling my patient that i will be doing the deep cleaning i'll be doing all this stuff for you uh, but still uh, we might send you for a referral to our specialist to a periodontist to see to give them a second opinion if things doesn't change so that way i would be covering myself and and patient have, have more idea of what to do next yeah and they've got all the options as well i've seen um uh, l- l- periodontal therapy with lasers um to have amazing results and um i I guess that you know the evidence around that is is i guess the jury's not completely in on it but um i'll put some notes on that particularly the fraterna laser it's pretty interesting stuff just to get for dentists and hygienists to get their an idea about what what's out there um pretty expensive though unless you're going to go and spend a couple hundred grand on a laser um yeah, it is, very, it is very expensive. And uh, what I was going to say that uh, it, it makes your job very interesting, um, you know, and I appreciate that those dentists who uh, create these kind of opportunities for their people and for the um, for the patients and bringing all these like top-notch technology uh, to work with. It, all of that kind of thing definitely improves your, your work satisfaction, your career satisfaction. And I can hear, like I've said a few times, I can hear your your passion and it's um, it's infectious. It's good. Can you tell us a, a few of the key points you think that could bring a hygienist from average, so to speak, to, to ne- the next level? What are the key things that people can be doing? Yes. So, you know, in terms of production, obviously, uh, with the respect of being ethical and professional, uh, you have like a lot of hygienists, as I said, they just want to do the clean, give them the fluoride and send them home. But like uh, they see those four millimeter pockets, but they never do a period chart. They say that, yep, I'm going to put it on my notes. They do CPITN. Uh, where like the rule is that if you see a couple of pockets or like even a, one, some patient, some dentists, they say even one pocket of four millimeter on a tooth, then that's when you should do a full mouth period chart. And that full mouth period chart, that two to one, is a production. And that a lot of um, a lot of um, uh, hygienists or dentists they don't use. And imagine if you do um, ten of them in one day, or imagine if you do eighty of them in a, in a year, or like in six months. That kind of brings your production up. And while you're doing those period chart and th- those Tara period chart with like recording the recession, the mobility on that, then you see that this patient actually has period. This patient actually should be coming uh, three monthly instead of four, uh, instead of six monthly or at least four monthly. And then seeing like if you see one third or one fourth of your patients three monthly, that kind of creates more of production to the practice that creates more production for yourself. Your books are more busy. Um, so obviously doing period charts makes a big difference. Um, as well as uh, like if, if, the, if there's like, you know, 2 d 3 d localized period, we need to treat that. And a lot of people, they say that just because it's localized, just because it's under 15%, I'm just going to watch it. Um, it's going to be fine. 
So we do that, uh, and like you know, we make sure we bring that. But like one of the main things that I got lots of more production where you call those patients three monthly, and um, you do like two five zeros where like you know it's necessary, and then a maintenance on two five one. Um, so those things uh, obviously you have to explain to the patient, you have to kind of quote them beforehand all that, and um, yeah, it makes a big difference. Mm, yeah, it, it, you raise a lot of good points. And I think the other things um, you've mentioned, which much must have an impact is the fact that you're, you're rebooking those appointments, you're getting your patients to come back, your, your retention's really good, um, you're building rapport, you're doing all those other little things that aren't production in themselves, but they facilitate a full book and a productive um, practice, both yourself and, and, and the dentist. Yes. And it's, they're, they're so, so key. I want to start to wrap this up a little bit and I try to usually pull out some advice and I guess that that question was similar but um, I want you to now think about, you know, you've worked in lots of different practices with lots of different dentists and um, I want you to think about the dentists, think about perhaps the young dentists and try to give a couple of pieces of advice from your shoes, from what you see as a hygienist. Perhaps it's things they could either improve or do better or focus on early in their career. Yeah, but all um, my one of my advice or one of my suggestions to all those um, um, graduates that uh, do a lot of courses, like you know, invest on yourself, especially communication. You can be a very good dentist, but uh, if you are not communicating well, and if the patient doesn't understand what you're trying to say, then they will never come back to you. So it's better to have a very good communication skill and work on that and invest on that and see other people. And, like, you know, it's always good to do a root canal. It's always good to do a filling. But uh, let's just work on the communication. And the other thing is obviously working with nice mentors. And, like, you know, if you are lucky to find them, um, it will be amazing to learn from them. So once, obviously, once we do all that communication skills, once we do those courses and CBDs, then that gives you a sense of confidence. That 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 pretty much tells you that you have done all your homework and then when you have that confidence the patient feels it that this person even though he's a graduate he's a young man but a young girl he she has that confidence she can talk about things she can actually point out things and those things that she's saying is right and obviously use all those tools in a practice like nowadays 90 percent of the practices has intraoral cameras use that like fair enough you can tell them that you know this is what's happening in your teeth and you're right about it but some patients if they don't see that they don't believe it you know picture shows a thousand worlds and you know, let them identify things from the pictures yourself use that and um, taking before and after photos you know um, that makes a big difference like you know you have cleaned a tooth and take a before and after photo you have opened the cavity take the dirt take a photo of the dirty cavity and show them that this is what I'm going to clean and even take a photo of clean i know like a lot of taking photo and a lot of dentists might say that this guy has a lot of time but uh, it, <laughs> <laughs> but it makes a big, big difference i have seen dentists who like who has worked for 35 years and one of the biggest example would be dr dr andrew lee or george lee they have worked 35 37 years in a practice and they still take the photo of that cavity they still take a photo of after the filling or that and show that to the patient and big makes a big difference um obviously uh, one of my um, like the things that i have seen um, that patient picked up is the confidence um, in our communication and that goes a long way so uh, fair enough that um, like 
customer service is one of the main keys here in Australia. And like, you know, we are pretty much bending to the patients. <laughs> like if you go to like Eastern, uh, Eastern countries, uh, all the patients are pretty much bending for the doctors and they're saying respecting all that. <laughs> but here it's a bit other way around and I, and I love it. And I love it where it's like, you know, more um, uh, patient focus, which is good. Um, but at the same time, we need to use those right tools, have the confidence and actually make them believe that what you're saying is right and, and show them. So <laughs> that makes a big difference. That was packed with awesome information. I think the one being confident is actually one of the biggest things that can um, build the trust in the patients. If you're, if you're not sure about saying just tell them confidently that right now I'm not sure about this, I'm going to find out. Or if you, you know, instead of stumbling over your words, say, I'm just going to have a few moments to have a look at these x-rays and have a think about the best thing for you. And the point of that is that you don't have to know the answers. You have to be confident in what you're saying and make the patient know that you know what you're talking about. Even if you're saying, I'm not sure about this one, I'm going to check. We can stumble around ourselves when we're graduates and and make ourselves look we know everything experience <laughs> uh, yeah well yeah and even trying to look like we know everything but going around in circles is the worst thing you can do. One more thing that I want to mention yeah, to all that, that I forgot <laughs> that I see a lot of graduate dentists and even some experienced dentists that the, from the moment that the patient walks in, they're talking, and by the time the the patient gets out, the dentist is still talking. They never give the opportunity to the to the patient to talk and one of the keys that i say that is that the person who's talking a lot in a conversation they are not in the control of the conversation the person is actually listening they are controlling the conversation so i'll ask questions from patients and sit back and listen to them explain something and then sit back and say what they say you don't have to go straight away jump in that we're going to fill this dude just say that you have a cavity and sit back and the patient would be like, okay, what are you going to do? And that's when you're going to say that, yep, you understood. We're going to fill it now. That's so true. Uh, it's just foundational stuff. And, and like you said, when you focus on CPD early on, communication is a pretty important thing to focus on. You can do the best dentistry in the world, but if you can't let a patient know what they need and have a patient agree, then you're never going to do that in amazing dentistry. So um, I think you've you've packed this full of some really great tips. Where can people find you? I know you're putting some information out there on some uh, Instagram and some other things. Where can people find you, Silic? That's right. So I pretty much, uh, after working in kind of different practices, working a bit in the West and in the city, then I kind of came up with an idea that, oh, like I've, my wife kind of mentioned that, oh, you're pretty much all over the Sydney. So uh, all over Sydney. So I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm Sydney hygienist. <laughs> so because <laughs> I'm working in different practices. And so I kind of created a brand myself, Sydney hygienist, and I'm like pretty much working on my website and the content is pretty much ready to just put on. So um, I kind of created this uh, Sydney Hygienist brand because I work in different places. And also I have an Instagram called Sydney Hygienist. Um, Sydney Hygienist is pretty much for the patients. It's not for like uh, practitioners. Uh, so it's mainly um, giving tips, writing small blogs, uh, putting a photo and like write, talking about that, putting a bit of video and talking about that. So give my a bit of information for all those of all my patients who are following me um, and obviously make things like you know a bit more simple before they come and see me and through that uh, it creates a bit of business for myself it creates a bit of like you know those people who actually like my content they contact me that where can i find you where are you working can i come and see you so um, that's one of 
like you know I love it and that way it's it's kind of giving me that sense of that I'm giving back to the community and um, especially family friends and like word of mouth travels and nowadays obviously Instagram or, or social media is playing a major role on businesses and especially dentistry um, so well, I'm using that tool to kind of have that connection with my patients uh, outside work as well and also it helps me and it helps them yeah, it's a fantastic way to get your name out there and to build your brand outside of the practice you work in. Um, it's something we've talked about um, with Dr. Jamie Workman who's talking about building your own brand as an associate and I think these concepts are really worth um, looking into. If people are interested in that one, look at, I think it's episode seven or something of um, the Dental Head Start podcast. Um, look, I want to say thank you so much and, and congratulations and, and I have admiration for what you've achieved and what you're going to achieve in your career because you, you're so passionate, um, you, you've learned so much and now you're teaching so much. Um, I think what you've said you know, with hygiene being the, the powerhouse of the practice is a crucial concept and I really think you're going to make waves and change things in Australian dentistry. So thank thanks you. for coming on the Dental Head Start podcast. Uh, thank you very much, David. Thanks for having me. Um, also, I forgot to mention the to the answer of your question that you know where else you can find me also i have collaborated with my friend sahil baruja and we are doing that um, academy which is called the australian academy of uh, um, oral health therapists and hygienists uh, so where like we know we help our practices where we can do um, set up their hygiene departments do a hygiene clinics talk to their graduate hygienist or like set up all those goals and stuff uh, so you can find me through that as well academy of Australian uh, hygienist and therapist um, but thank you so much for having me well, it's it's my pleasure. No, we'll, we'll have all that in the show notes because like I said, this stuff's really foundational but there's a lot of people probably listening who haven't been exposed to hygiene within their practice or within a practice. Exactly. Perhaps they'll hand it on to their principal dentist or maybe they are the owner and it's worth thinking about. Thank you so much. But also, David, uh, I just wanted to say that um, listening to your podcast, it kinda, it, it's kind of – it's so – creates more passion it's kind of sometimes i always tell people and i always recommend your podcast that you know go listen to these people and it's uh, like every day to work i drive to city and i love listening to your podcast and all those dentists that they have come <laughs> literally i tell everyone that you know listen to these podcasts because it kind of brings that fire in you and you see what other people are doing and because dentistry is on and the whole our industry is a very hard industry it um, it affects your kind of mental health it affects your physical health and then we need people like yourself these podcasts like yourself where um, it, it creates those passions again and brings the fire back again I really appreciate you saying that. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this in. Sometimes I might cut the. I don't like being uh, what's the word the, uh, the too much positive feedback, but I really appreciate it. And I must admit, I've listened to some people for hours and hours and hours. I cannot believe people out there are listening to my voice for hours. However, I think what you and other guests have to say is so important to get out there. So um, it's been my pleasure. I appreciate you saying that. You're very welcome. And also, I have to thank our mutual friend uh, and Dr. Yelena who referred me to you and, you know, uh, and become the first hygienist to do your podcast. And she was on the podcast for um, volunteering um, at the start of this year. She so was. People can check I that heard out. her podcast and it was really nice and fun. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you so much. CPD is expensive. Travel, time away from work, hotels, it all adds up. Imagine being able to see the content from world-renowned speakers from all over the globe. Learn about restorative full-mouth work, 
communication, surgery, and tons more, all from the comfort of your own home. No travel costs, no hotels. That all exists and is getting better every day on the RIPE Academy from Restoring Excellence. For just $29 US per month, you'll get access to some of the best online content and save thousands on the real-life course equivalents. In fact, if you look really closely, you'll actually see me on there. I paid thousands for that course. It was awesome and now it's just $29 US a month to see the same stuff. Find out more on the RIPE Dentistry Group or at restoringexcellence.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com start to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.